Good night, everybody. This Love is Talk Radio. Radio. We're on the air with Talk Talk Radio, and this is Patty, and we are on K Talk Radio. Welcome tonight. We're going to be on the phone here with Cynthia Miller, and it looks like she's. Available now. Hey, Cynthia, are you there? Yes. Hi, Patty. How are you? Good. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Well, we don't have anybody coming in yet, so let's go ahead and get started on some uh, things about how we got started, how we learned, you know, how we uh, got to know each other, where we met. And we'll probably pull some people in from there. Um, okay. I met I met you late last year. <laughs> we okay. uh, we got we got started kind of choppy as we were working you know through someone else and we got to know each other and I you know you needed a cover really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we made a cover in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did. So, you know, it works well because, uh, you know, you kind of tell me what you were looking for. It does help. And uh, if I see it in my head, then, you know, it comes out pretty easy. Um, I do have a message here for you from author Sarita Walker. She said that she's going to be listening in tonight, and she said that uh, she's one of the tag words on your show was for rape victims. She said, since I have written my life story, I am realizing a lot of other writers have been through that also. Tell her to keep her head up, and I will be listening. Oh, okay. Thank you very much, Sharita. Yes, I'm definitely keeping my head up. I want to keep my head up so I can help as many people as I can and turn them from victims into survivors. Yeah, so that's the whole reason for this show and also the reason for your book, which is called In Rare Form. Would you like to explain to us the whole idea with the title? The reason why my book is called In Rare Form is because I didn't want to give my book out in a delicate way. I wanted to be able for my readers to see how life is in rare form for people who were victims or survivors of crimes, because that's not a delicate subject. That's a very difficult subject, and there are a lot of people out there who have actually been through this same thing. And if you asked one of them if their situation was common, they would say no. This situation is not common the way I feel. The way I feel is different. The way I feel is rare. It's odd because everyone takes takes those type of things in differently. So I told my name my book in rare form because I want to take people behind the scenes of what happens to people when something like that happens to them. I didn't want them to just hear what happened to them that day. I wanted them to know the effects that it have on their entire life. So this book goes through the entire life of a family who survives such a situation. So you not only have gone through the situation, but you see you have uh, witnessed others going through the same thing. 
Yes, definitely. I've been involved in several different groups. And when I was writing in rare form, I was actually involved with a group of women who were survivors just like myself. However, they had kept their story secret and inside just like I had kept mine. So when I started writing the book and shared my book with different others, shared different pages as I was writing it with other women, they started sharing their stories with me. And I found that each story was rare in its own way. Well, um, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you, uh, besides what we were just asking, was uh, where did you get the idea to write this specific story? Is there anyone in your life that really was part of that? Well, I got the idea from my son. He had, he had told me about 10 years ago that I needed to try and heal myself without self-medicating, you know. So I always used to write them poems when they were little. I wrote them poems all the time. And I wrote a few short articles for magazines over the years. So I started it way back then, but then my life took a very different direction, as you'll find out inside of the book of In Rare Form. So in 2009, when I found myself inside of a place where I could heal, I started writing the story of my life. Do you find that the writing actually helped you to heal? Oh, definitely, definitely. The writing, the writing started off as something to, to, to help me to heal. But then I realized that not only was I healing myself, I was healing these other women that I was sharing these pages with. And that's when I decided that it was important to get this story out there. Awesome. Um, what was the one of the most uh, surprising things you learned in the writing of your book? Well, I'll tell you. Like I said, when I first started writing the story, I shared the pages with many, many women who were survivors of very horrible tragedies. I mean, just unspeakable tragedies. And they started telling me their stories. And somewhere between the pages, we developed a bond that helped all of us to heal. So I guess the most surprising thing in the world is to know that I had found a way not only to heal myself, but to heal other people. And I I guess I never looked back after that. Uh, has, well, I guess then the question would be, have you been a reader of you know, this process and before that? Oh, yes. I, I, I learned to read at a very, very early age, and I actually love to read. <laughs> My mother, she used to always have me do book reports on a regular basis. I mean, she even taped some of my early reports and sent them to me several years ago. So I was always a reader, and because I was a reader, I always read up on different subjects. And it was the very fact of some of the books that I had read on child molestation way before my children ever went through this event was the one thing that helped me to deal with it when they did go through. I knew the right questions to ask. I knew the procedures to take, you know, but you don't know how to feel. That's the thing I was missing. So what was some of your uh, early early reading that you were doing? I I, I used to read a lot. I always read stories of children, of women, stories of inspiration. I read a variety of spiritual stories, inspirational stuff. But I always would pay attention to different articles that came out about what had happened with someone, how they had went through something, and how their life had been devastated, you know. Or I sometimes would read different books on how to, you know, how to recognize these signs with your children, how to recognize this, how to recognize that. So when I did find myself in that situation, I recognized the situation. 
what I had never read about was what happened to these people days after that, and that's what prompted me to write in Rare Form. I want to let everyone know we have several guests and also some people on the phone. I will be getting to questions in a few minutes. Uh, we will get to that right after you do one of your first readings. So this okay. Um, I'm going to read a page from called out, out of Chapter 8, and it's called Sobriety. Okay. And I'm going to read this part of the book about sobriety because my life definitely took a bad turn when I got this information. So I want to just let everyone know where I am today. Today, I, and this is from sobriety, today I am sober. The mind is such an amazing tool. All the time that I devoted in my life to killing my nightmare, I now spend working on my dreams. There have been so many mornings that I have awakened in a cold sweat just begging for a dose of death so that I can forget just one more time. But today I am sober. There is not one morning that I don't wake up and think about my dreams. And I don't cry when I think of Sherika, my daughter, anymore. I no longer see her on the concrete with blood in her hands and pain in her guts. I see her just the way she is, standing over my computer, staring at the pages, digesting every word like it was a meal she can't wait to get done. She checks the ingredients because she doesn't like it when my book tastes too sweet. She has become accustomed to the bitter taste in life. She insists on me having all the ingredients with each and every dish because she wants this book to change lives. I wish there was a way that I could guarantee each and every one of you out there that your child will never be molested. I wish I could pull the needle out of the arm of every family of abuse and tell them that it would be okay in time, but it just doesn't work that way. There is no way that you can shout from the mount, from the rooftop to the raw gut. I can only sit here and let you visit on the top of my mountain. The view isn't pretty. There's a lot of scars on my arms. I will probably wear long sleeves for the rest of my life, but just for today, I'm going to bring you here in my life in rare form. That's wonderful. Uh, I guess one of the questions I have done is, what is the hardest part of writing that kind of story? I mean, it's very, it's very deep and very emotional. So, uh, what did it take for you to do that? It took a lot of. I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. It took a lot of prayer for me to do this. It took a lot of focus. It took a lot of interaction with the other characters that are in the story that were going through that went through much worse tragedy than I did. So it took a lot for us to all get together and make a decision that this was a story we were willing to tell. So that took a lot. A lot of times when I was writing in rare form, sometimes I couldn't sleep at night. I I would just be up thinking and thinking about all the women and children out there who were going through things, situations very similar to mine. So what I did was I started getting involved. I started getting involved in helping people and soon I felt like in rare form, it, it wasn't something that was hard to write. It was easy because I knew that the right persons would read this book and that it would save lives. That's the important part. Uh, about the whole writing process, what did you find that was the hardest part other, other than the emotional? I think that part of the hardest part for me was just actually typing quick as I thought. Okay, that's one of the hardest parts for me. You know, right now I'm working on a story, and sometimes I'm not near my computer when a whole chapter will come to my mind, you know. 
So now the challenge is not to get it down, but to get it down before I rearrange it in my thoughts. So a lot of times my thoughts are racing and I'm thinking, oh, boy, I've got to get this on paper. Oh, this is Chapter 7. I've got to get this in. I've got it all focused in. And just typing fast as I think, hopefully that will (laughs) improve. My typing quickly will improve. But that's one of the hardest parts. I think the second hardest part was the editing. I'm sure you know that. We we have many challenges. (laughs) You stayed up with me many nights going back and forth telling me, Cynthia, you, you need to rearrange it this way. So that's one of my hardest parts is the editing, you know, and things like that. But yes, but you took the time, you know, and, and that's what made it important to me to help you was that you took the time to, just as late as I did, to uh, to do that touch-up work and, and to, you know, get the sentences and paragraphing right. So uh, that, I, I don't mind doing as long as, you know, <laughs> the other person on the other end wants to help to do that process. So that's great. I really appreciate that, of course. Um, we've got a couple of people on the line, and so I'm going to go ahead and cue in somebody here. We are... We are live with 937-677-4800. Hey, this is Sarita Walker. Um, Hi, Sarita. How you doing? Your... Bye. How are you doing tonight? Fine. Good. I did let her know your message. Did you want to talk to her and say anything else? Yeah, I'm enjoying your interview, and I think it's going to be a good read. Just keep going, and it'll get better each day. Thank you so much, Sarita. I appreciate you calling in, and I enjoyed your comment. And that's what it's about. It's about keeping on going. You know, it's about keeping on going, putting one foot in front of the other, and I want to share how I put my foot in front of the other with other people, and that's why I wrote this book. Awesome. That's why I wrote my story, too. Well, yes, one thing I, I, find, I, I, I do find that that is there, that writing process is therapeutic for people. Uh, so when they're going through something, that's when they are more productive in their creativity. Yes, I believe you have to have a cause when you're writing a book like this. I have several projects going on that in the community because I believe that you have to have a cause, and you have to believe in what you're writing, and I believe in what I'm writing 110%. Okay. Anything else, Rita? No, ma'am. Thank you for calling in. You're welcome. Okay, we got another line. Somebody local. Okay. It is six oh two nine seven seven one one seven one. You're live with Cynthia Miller. Would you like to talk to her? Hello. Might be some. They didn't want to talk. <laughs> okay, okay. 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 That's okay. Then get back on. That's okay. As long as you listen, I'm happy with that. Right, right. So we'll try again here. Another local call. Just let me know if you're not interested in in, uh, in having a question. 602-339-9333. Three, 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 three. 
You're on live. Do you want to talk to Cynthia, or would you rather just listen? Um, hi, Cynthia. I just a quick question on um, on um, how this has currently affected your life with your writings and your relationships with others. Okay. Actually, my writing has affected my life quite a bit. It has given me a lot of positive influence as far as in my personal life and my personal study. It has helped me to become more routine. It's actually got help to develop my relationship, not only with myself, my children, my friends, but also with my God. So I'm I'm actually doing pretty well with that. I think that the writing helped open up doors for me and let me know that I wasn't doing I wasn't in this alone. I wasn't in this alone. So it really has helped because I'm able to share some of my writing with some of my very close friends, and they egg me on, hey, keep going, keep going, this is good, you know, or sometimes they say, ah, maybe you shouldn't say it that way. So it's really helped me to develop a lot of very close friends. That's great. Any other questions for her? Um, No, that's it for right now. Would you like to share any story that – that you that has to do with something that she's written. Um, no, I you know I've read her publication. It's um it's amazing that she hasn't um, been jaded. In um, I I certainly don't know if I could go through that same experience and and come out as strong as Cynthia has. And um, you asked a good question earlier if writing that publication was therapeutic for her um and um and i i didn't quite hear her response what what did she say about that well it was very therapeutic for me once i started putting my story down on paper i started accepting it and not only that i started instead of wooing over it and crying over what had happened i started to realize that i had a lot of things to be thankful for that i was actually able to sit down and write about this and that i had actually made it through the tunnel so it was very therapeutic for me, and not only that, when I shared my story with other women in pain, they also shared their story with me. So it became very therapeutic for me. So do you find that there's um, a lot of people or women that are more willing to come forward because of what you've done that where they might not have said anything before? Yes, I find that to be very true and very true among younger people. I have received some very touching emails from women who have bought my books, and I've received some very touching emails where they say, Cynthia, I, I went. I'm, my, my daughter has went through this. My sister has went through this. My friend is going, do you have any advice for my friend that's now having such a hard time dealing with this? So I'm able to hear from women who are telling me very touching stories, and each and every time I hear one of these, to read one of these stories on my email, because I read all emails that people send me. And when I read one of those emails, I am so touched in my heart that someone felt that I was worthy enough for them to write to me and tell me their story. So what advice would you give women who have been through that, because I could see how it would be so easy to play the victim instead of the victor in a case like that. And and yet they are humans, so when they get down about having experienced um, some of the situations you mentioned in your book that you went through, what advice would you give them? 
How do you overcome think, something you've had emotionally? Emotionally, the, and, and, and basically the only way that I personally, and I don't, you know, this isn't my command for anyone, but the way that I personally was able to come out of the tunnel was I finally had to realize that, hey, I can't, do, I can't get out of here by myself. And I felt like there was no human help available for me right away. So what I did was I got on my knees and prayed for guidance, and then I followed what I found, you know. So when, when I was receiving answers that I felt, you know, I followed those answers. So I, I, number one, the first thing that I would tell someone to do is pray. And the second thing that I would tell them to do is to realize that the mere fact that they're trying to get out of their situation, they've already taken a step out. So no one should try to go it alone then? No, it's an, it's an impossible feat. We, have no, we, we cannot do this alone. We cannot do this alone. And then surround yourself with positive people. You don't have to tell everybody that you meet what you're going through, but you definitely want to surround yourself with positive people. I surrounded myself. Once I decided that it was time to come out of that tunnel and I screamed and cried and prayed, I got up and I took myself and put myself in a positive situation. And you would be surprised what a difference that makes. It's good to hear you give that advice, Cynthia. Um, Those are all the questions I have. and um, They're excellent questions. That's why I let you keep going, because you sure had excellent questions there. Thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we've got another caller. Okay. This is this caller two oh two two one zero nine six one four. You're on the line. This is live. Do you have anything to Hello, question? hi. Hi, how hi. you doing? Hi, hi, my name is Tasha. I'm calling from Washington D C. How are you guys? Wow, that's a long ways away. <laughs> We're doing yes, great. It's a We're long ways great. away. <laughs> I, I had a couple questions um, for Cynthia. First off, congrats on your book. Um, I read it all pretty much in one day. Um, one of my former classmates at Howard, uh, who is actually your daughter, gave it to me. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to congratulate her on the great marketing tools. (laughs) Yes, she was quite persistent in telling me um, that I needed to read the book, so I read it. Uh, I have a couple questions. So I noticed you have poetry on every one of your chapters. Did you write the poetry yourself? Uh, And if so, where did you get the inspiration from the poems? Were they written in the past or were they written just specifically for the book? Well, a lot of the poets, a couple of poems that are in my book were written by my daughters. One of them were, a couple of them were written by my daughter, Cynthia Miller, and um, she's a 20-year-old student. She's also a student, and she lives with me. And a couple of my poems were written by my daughter, Sherika. The rest of my poems were written by myself, and I wrote some of those poems when I was in addiction. I wrote some of them when I was in pain, and I wrote a couple of them specifically for the book. But I found out that once I started writing the book and I started thinking into my poetry, I realized that all the time I had been writing these poems just for women to heal. Wow. 
What about your kids? How do they feel about uh, having the book out and having their names in the book and having their stories so public? Well, when I started writing my story in rare form and I started really realizing that this was going to be a story that I was going to put out on the market, I approached both of my children and told them, hey, look, our story is getting out there now and I'm getting ready to go into a printing process. Would you like for me to change your name? And as far as my daughter, Sherika, that's in the book, she insisted that her name not be changed because she wanted this book to save lives, and she wanted to, if at any point someone needed help, needed to reach her, or were going through the things she had went through, she wanted to be reachable. I then asked my son, because of the line of work that he was in, if he was, you know, if he wanted me to change his name in the story, and he said absolutely not that he is who he is and he's lived the way he's lived and that he was proud of who he was and he was proud of me too. So we all decided to leave our names real in the book. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll have one question about one of your poems in particular, um, Prisoner's Prayer. I think that was probably my favorite one. Was that one of the poems you're saying that you wrote um, while in addiction or were you actually incarcerated at that time? I was actually a prisoner at the time that I wrote Prisoner's Prayer, and it was a poem that I wrote in my cell one night, and I shared it with a few of the girls. And they used to ask me every night, hey, will you shop that poem out for us? So when I was writing my story and I got to the part about me being in prison, I wanted to make sure I shared that with them too, with my readers. Okay. I have one other, just one other question. Um, so I know your daughter, while she was um, at Howard for the majority of the time, um, and from what I remembered, you guys had a pretty strained relationship during her early college years. It was something that really used to trouble her emotionally. I'm not sure if you were still in the depths of your addiction or for whatever reason. Um, so how is the relationship now with your daughter, and has the book helped to turn that around? Uh, my relationship with my daughter has mended tremendously, and the book has helped our relationship to turn around. My daughter was actually my inspiration and also just my just my advisor throughout the whole book. She made sure that I told the story just the way it happened, and it has changed our lives tremendously. We have both decided to put the past behind us because we know that we can't make up for time that was missed. And she told me recently that she was she was happy with the way things had went. And although I had went through a lot and she had went through a lot, that she wouldn't have it any other way because it made us the people that we are today. Okay, wow. Well, it was certainly nice talking to you. Are you available to come to other cities for speaking engagements or anything like that, or are you only local? No, I, I am I am available to come to any other cities for speaking engagements, and you can request me by going to Cynthia to www.inrareformbook.com, and you can email me from there, and I am available for speaking engagements out of state. Okay, thank you for having me. Good luck with your book. Continue to prosper and continue to stay sober, sober and strong. Great, great thank question. You very thank much. you very much for coming on. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was a great call. Yes, that was a very good call. From Washington, D.C., that's awesome. Okay, we, yeah. have, another, we have another local person. Uh, I'm not sure whether they're willing to talk. 
Hello, this is 602-466-1269. If you want a question, you just want to listen, just let me know. Hello? Hello, you're live. Hello. Good evening. My name is Awana, and um, I read Cynthia's book. Um, I I loved it. I'm a big fan of hers. It's it's a it's um it's a wonderful story. Um, I have a question for Cynthia um, because I've noticed a tendency nowadays, a very um, very mis- misunderstood idea that we have to stay um, happy and tune out anything that could you know disturb um, our view on, on things and. I wanted to ask Cynthia, when when you decided to get the truth out, no matter what, weren't you afraid that truth in such a, you know, um, raw, strong form would not be marketable enough, that your readers might be, you know, turned off by the truth? That's a good question. Yes, and that's an excellent question. And actually, that's a question that my daughter, Sherika, and I spoke about in depth. I had a couple of um, talks and and discussions and interviews with other publishers and different people, and one of the um, offers was very, very not what I wanted to do. They wanted me to actually tone tone down the story, to change the story, and basically to lie and say that everything was peaches and cream, and I wasn't willing to do that. And I was just in tears after I left this interview that my son actually went with me on. And, you know, my son looked over at me in the car, and we had my daughter on speakerphone, and they both told me, Mama, if we don't care if the book, if you write, we want the story out there. If you write the story and there's only three copies, and we can set it up on our mantelpiece and look at it and read it every now and then for encouragement, that would be fine too. So I knew in my heart that it was the right thing to do, to tell my story in rare form, as delicate as I could, but I wanted people to see the truth because this is not a nice subject. Child molestation is one of the worst-kept secrets in America. And until people get out and speak on it, it happens to your neighbor, it happens to the kids that are going to school with your child. Someone has to get out there and let people know that this is what's happening. And it doesn't just happen to the child that night. It happens to the child's life and their family's life. Very good question. So, so do you think that only truth can heal us? Only the truth can heal us. I, I am a firm believer in the truth, and only the truth can heal us. That is the only thing that can heal us. We cannot heal with lies, and we cannot heal by hiding behind. We cannot heal with nice words and looking at the crime channel and saying, oh, poor Betty. We can't heal that way. We actually have to get involved. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, any other questions? No, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking the hard question. <laughs> yes. Okay, we've got another live one here. This one is also long distance. 510-214-5634. You're live. Did you want to ask a question or did you rather just want to listen? Hello. 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 Five one zero two one four five six three four. Yes, I have a question. 
Awesome. Go ahead. So um, I hear that you talk about a prayer a lot. Like I just hear that throughout um, the whole interview that you've been given. Can you just pinpoint a particular time that prayer has just really helped you? Yes, I can. I can definitely pinpoint that. Inside of my book, In Rare Form, it it talks about things that happened several years after how I went through an addiction period in my life after I found out the situation with my children. And at one point in my life, I walked in my bedroom that I normally use just for using drugs, and I happened to just spot a Bible that my roommate had been redecorating the room and set a Bible on the table, and I read a couple of scriptures, and I I actually called my mother, who was very much into God, and had taught me how to pray, and I called her and told her, you know, I just don't want to live like this anymore. And she says, well, you need to get down on your knees and pray, you know. And I actually got on my knees that night, and I can tell you that that was the exact time and date, and I can picture it as I'm talking to you, that my life changed. I got on my knees and prayed, and I meant it. And the next day, my life started to change. Wow. I really liked your book. When I read this book, I was left kind of wanting more. So can you tell me, like, what's next for you? Well, actually, I'm working on a much lighter story now. I'm working on a story called In Position One, and it's a story about a little girl who dared to dream. Okay, sounds good. That's all the questions I had. I loved your book. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I also just want to let everyone know that uh, you can get different forms of formats of Cynthia's book on azpublishingservices.com. That's AZ as in Arizona, publishingservices.com. You can also get uh, information about Cynthia and her book and her upcoming books on her own website, and that is, go ahead and tell them. It's www.inrareformbook.com. Okay, I'll ask you a couple questions that we have. We have a couple people online, but hold for a second. Um, What is your goal with Overall goal as far as social and personal. Well, I'll tell you, Patty. Right now, my goal is social because my personal goal was reached. The book helped me and my children to heal, and that was my personal goal to help me and my children heal. And now, my goal is to reach as many people as possible. I want this story, Patty, to save lives. My ultimate goal. It's to start a program that helps children of sexual abuse and mothers of addiction to move on, that is, to move on past the pain that they've been in. That's a great goal. Um, you know, here I'm saying that some of the hard questions were to come, but some of those are, were very hard. Um, so I know that uh, you have so the question is, do you feel that you can help families in, in this cycle itself? I mean, you're talking about... Um, helping people after they know what you know that they need to move on and they need to do some change, but is there in the cycle? And they came up yes. to you. What yeah. would you tell them? Well, you know what? I know that I can help people in this cycle because I have an inside track on the healing process, Patty. I've got an inside line on that. And not to mention, my daughter has done tremendous research on resources that are and are not available. And my son, he's actually in the mental health field, and he's currently doing research into long, long-term psychological effects. And But the most important thing, 
that I know in my heart that I can give them is a hand, a warm hand on the way to recovery, because this is a very, very long and bumpy road. And it's one road that I'm really familiar with. I fell in a few of the potholes along the way, so I can definitely help others to avoid them. When you were uh, wrote your answer out for me, you were saying something about some resources that are not available. Uh, what were you kind of referring to, and what do you think that? How do you think that we could actually get what what you think should be available? One of the things that I think should be available is that there should be a. This is this is my biggest beef with this, and I hope I don't take the whole show up with it. <laughs> I did get her question, <laughs> but you asked. Uh, one of my biggest beef with sexual abuse with children is that the way that when I, when my children went through this, I called a 1-800 number. And I won't go into details as to what actually the number was, but it was a 1-800 number for sexual abuse on children. And the way they went about prompting me was that, number one, I called in as a person because being afraid and scared, panicked, you know, but I had, you know, did, you know, had read books, okay, call the number. So I called the number. And when I talked to them, they immediately wanted my phone number, address, the name of the child, so they could send police over there to pick this child up. That's very scary for a person who has just went through a traumatic situation. And a lot of times from the research that my daughter, my son, and myself have conducted and looked into this thing, when a lot of these children, if you were to tell a teacher, they would immediately remove you from the home. Now, what if you were being abused by a cousin or something? and the only comfort you had was the arms of your mother, would you really want them to take you from her that day at school and put you in there with a lot of strangers to be questioned? No, you wouldn't. You would want to have some resources that a child, not an adult, but that a hotline that a child could call to get some advice on how to go about this, a mentor that a child could contact who had been through this very same thing and could research and find out where is the best place to place this child so they would be out of arm's way and would help them to actually get the help they need. But not only does the child need help, so does the parent who feels as though they haven't protected their child. And that is probably one of the biggest sources of addiction. One of the major things that I noticed when I was actually in recovery myself was a lot of mothers, were in addiction because of the cruel nightmares that they were having for not saving their child in situations where they had no control, such as myself. My children were at their grand at one of their one of at their father's people's house, you know. So they were at their father's family's home. Who 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 does that? You know what I mean? You can't carry around guilt for taking your children to visit their father at, at, at a great great grandmother's home. But yet I carried that for years in addiction. I wish that I could have gotten the help that I received from the RSAT program in Riverside years ago, but it wasn't available. So I want to make this help available to people. Well, I definitely touched such a spot on you there. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'll have to calm down now. You you were getting compassionate, and and, and it was awesome to hear that. that, That's what thanks. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna go to go to the line and uh see if somebody wants to talk to you here. We are on live with three one zero six four seven seven three five two. Are you there? Or do would you rather Hello? Talk? Hello. Hi, Cynthia. Hi. Hi, my name is Tracy. I'm calling from California 
And I just finished reading your book a couple of days ago, and I loved it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I did have one question for you. When I finished reading the book, the first question that popped in my head was, how do you think that, you know, Sherrick and Raymond find it in themselves to move forward to even to even become successful in a lifetime after experiencing such a traumatic event? Because some people coming from, you know, a history of, you know, drug abuse would, you know, seek that for comfort. How do you feel they're able to move forward and get degrees and become successful in life? Well, that's one thing that's part of the book because – the book is about how when this situation happened, the mother gave the children all she had because she didn't want the kids to end up that way. So instead of just petting the kids and saying, oh, it's going to be okay, she told them, no, you've got to push on now. You've got to get, in, you've got to get these straight A's in school. We're not going to let this stop you. No, I'm not going to keep you out of school for a few days. No, we're going to keep on moving forward. So the mother gave the children everything she had to survive. She just didn't have anything left for herself. So the children, all the time, they wanted to they wanted to succeed in life. They didn't want this to stop them. And the mother was very strong in, in helping the in telling the children not to let this stop them. Although she didn't follow her own advice, the children followed it. Okay, and I have one more question for you. Being incarcerated, what gave you hope to start writing the story? Like, how has your own mother supported you in doing that? And like. In that type of situation where some people seem say that's the most depressing, how did you find it to, you know, throw yourself into a project and have hope and a vision for that? Well, when I was incarcerated, I had time. I was just not – the last time that I was incarcerated, I was fortunate enough to have a mother that was on my side. And my mother hired a private attorney to have me put into a program where I could not only pay for my crime but also to heal. So I, w I ended up being in, in a protege program that they had in Riverside County that they only gave out to about 32 women out of 3,000 women a year, and I was fortunate enough to get in that program. And it didn't deal with my with my abuse with my it didn't deal with my addiction. It dealt with me healing. And once I got into that program, I had time to sit down and think about where I was at, and I made a decision that I didn't want to be there ever again. That I wasn't going to live my life like this. And my children came to see me and told me, please don't live your life this way. So I made a decision at this point, and I started, I got in touch with a teacher there, and she gave me access to a computer, and she told me to just start writing. She loved my poems. And I, before I knew it, I had written a couple of chapters of In Rare Form, and I decided this is what I'm going to do with my life. Okay. I know one chapter towards the end of the book, you had a younger daughter named Tonisha, and you guys had like a falling out. How has your relationship with one of your or your youngest daughters gone since then? Have you guys grown closer? Does she even read the book at such a young age? Is she involved? Well, actually, recently I shared my book with my daughter because she kept she's only fifteen, but she kept asking about the book. Of course, she's around when we're all. So let me read the book, and I said, you know what? I'm going to give her the book. So after reading the book, she understood more about my where my pain and addiction came from. And she's actually made some positive changes in her life. Recently, my daughter took her to UCLA so that she could find out what she wanted to do with her life and her career. And our relationship has been bumpy at best. 
but at this time we're all working on mending. Things just didn't turn around because the book came out. You know, we have a very strained relationship, but it's actually starting to move forward in a very positive direction. Okay. Would you consider yourself an activist now for child abuse? Do you feel like you're you're an activist? No, I don't feel like I'm an activist for child abuse. I feel like I'm a person who's going to not try, but who's going to get the word out. And I'm looking to say, I'm looking to help people because a lot of times activists protest and and they talk about it, but I'm going to be about it. So. I'm going to be about it, and not as far as in the form of an activist, but I actually am trying to develop a program where I can set up a center here in Phoenix that will actually help people who are involved in child abuse. Okay. Is there going to be a second book to end reform? Because like one of the other callers said, it's almost when you finish reading the book, like, well, what's happening next? Do you feel like you're going to write a second part to it? Like, you know, maybe a couple of years from now, what's been going on since then? Well, definitely, I hope that I'll have some great news for my readers in a couple of years from now, or at least within the next year. I actually considered a book called My Next Miracle, and I've actually considered that book. And But it takes time. It takes time because I'm actually at a point in my life right now where I'm trying to write my second book in my life. You know, I'm trying to write the second part of my story because I'm still in the healing process myself. So, yes, definitely there will be a second part to In Rare Form. You should look for it. That's amazing, Cynthia. Your story. You're such a remarkable woman. Thank you so much. Thank you for reading my book, too. You're welcome. A couple of people who are trying to get online. So let's go ahead and move forward. Thank you so much for calling in. You're welcome. Hello, this is Hello, this is Hello, You're online with Cynthia. Hello, Cynthia. Are you you don't have a question? Hello. 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 Okay, so you don't have a question. Okay. 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 I do have a question on chat, and I'll go ahead and give it out okay. to you. I, I don't know if this is the line there. But uh, uh, Bella Zuri asked, so moving forward, how are you staying on the right path? Well, once again, I'm going to mentioned something that I've probably mentioned more than once because it's something I believe in, is that um, I go down in prayer every night for help to, to stay on the right path. I keep myself doing positive things, and I reach out and help as many people as I can. But the one thing, another thing that has definitely helped me to stay on the path is a routine. You've got to get a routine. You've got to get a routine. You've got to have something that you have to do every day, and you have to be responsible for it. So I'm responsible for every day getting up, saying a prayer. I'm responsible every day for getting up and going to work. So those are things that I'm responsible for. Great answer. Um, we did have a couple people who, who fell off the line. If you want to call in now, put you right in. 
Just letting everybody know that the line is open. And the chat. We got quite a few people listening, but <laughs> they don't want to say anything. Uh, okay, so I'll go off to light, a little more lightheaded or lighthearted questions. Um, if you had one wish, what would it be? Oh my goodness, <laughs> that is a tough one. My one wish, when if I had one wish, it, it would be to open a rape crisis center that deals with children. And right now I'm currently working on a project called Healing Net that will allow me to go into the schools and teach children how to use writing and poetry as a tool for healing. I um, teach a program called Poetry in Motion, and I've been taking that program actually into the schools. And it's just amazing how these children react to this. I go in and they give me about an hour, and I have a friend that I do this with, and we go in and we do this this writing program with these children. And when we first go in, I mean, I'm, I'm just always amazed. When I first go in the class, the children are kind of shy and reserved and they're not ready for this, you know. And once we start and I show them, it's a technique that I came up with to get children to draw out and write down their biggest thought in their head into a point. And I give them a few words as a starter. And I'm just simply amazed by the end of the class when we create this poem on the wall. I mean, it's just been a wonderful program. But I, what, one thing I want to do, like I said, is have a rape crisis center. And it's not just for sexually abused children, but we all need a place to put our thoughts in motion. So poetry in motion is definitely one of my programs because our dreams, and, I, and this is something that I tell my children is that our dreams are only our goals sleeping. That's what our dreams are. They're just our goals that are sleep. And I want to wake those dreams up and put them on paper where kids can see them every day and turn them into attainable goals. That's great. Um, letting everybody know where you can get your book in rare form. We can all, we get it on Amazon. But if you go straight into azpublishingservices.com, you can get the Amazon link or the book as well as the Kindle link. So you can all you need to do is go right on the publishing website, azpublishingservices.com, and you can get it in several formats. If you buy directly from the publisher, you have no problem with it because it will be free shipping. So we get free shipping on publishing services. Okay, the only question is, what authors have impacted on your writing? Well, I'll tell you, I'll just one of my favorite authors, and this is who had a big impact on my writing. Before I started writing my story, I read her story, and I read several other things that she had wrote. But her name is Ayanla Van Zant. It's very difficult to say. But she wrote the book called Yesterday I Cried. And she wrote a poem called Yesterday I Cried. And when I was in the RSAT program, a teacher that I mentioned in there, Miss Wilkins, actually gave me the book to read. And she gave me the poem first, and she said, Cynthia, you've got to read this poem. This, you know, I read this poem at home last night, Cynthia, and it reminded me of you. And it's a poem called Yesterday I Cried. And when I read that poem, I found myself right there. And when I read her story of her life and found out how she had wrote this book and how fine, how all the trials and tribulations she went through to get published, I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. 
So she definitely had a strong impact on me writing this book. That's great. I think every writer has a another writer that really has impacted them. Uh, mine was Ray Bradbury. So everyone has a mentor, so to speak, that they look up to. And that's why that's always a great question. So we talked a little bit about what you're working on next. But I want to let everyone know that we do have some more minutes here. And we, if you dropped off the line because you can get through, please call us now because it's a great time. And I will put you right through. Also, we have chat. I know we have people listening. And they're just not saying anything, <laughs> which is okay. <laughs> Okay. That's okay, as long as they listen and get on board. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I mean, if they have a question, they just have a comment even. I mean, if they don't have a question, maybe they just want to share something, then that's what we're here for. So be sure to call in now because I can put you right through. So the last question that I have on my board, I think, here is what are you working on now? We talked briefly about your a couple of projects that you want to work on. Um, I have to say that when I first read this story that you know in rare form that it was really deep and and very it was going to be raw and it was going to be difficult for almost anyone to read uh as a mother uh it was difficult for me to read uh not that my son had gone through that, but the fact that you know something like that could happen. At any time, mm-hmm. and uh, so when you're talking about when you do something deep, you're obviously I think what you want to do now is something a little lighthearted. So in your book that you're talking about doing next would be position one. You want to tell us a little more about that? Okay, position one is definitely a much lighter project for me. Okay, and it's a story about a little girl who dares to dream. And just to give everyone, my readers out there, an idea of where position one, the name comes from, is that position one is the position that a ballerina takes when she first steps on the stage and she puts her heel inside. That's the position that she takes. It's called position one. Throughout the world, no matter what language you speak, it's position one. And it's right where she starts when she's getting ready to go into her thing and dance out her dream. So that's where the name of my book came from, Position One. And it's an excellent read, and I started working on this book because a friend of mine has um, a dance company, and she wanted me to write a book that she could pass out to her dancers that would inspire these young children to dance. And so that's where it started at. However, because I am Cynthia, there is a twist in the book. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely going to be a very deep twist in the book, but it's going to inspire anyone who's ever been through something to still follow your dream. So that's what the book is about. Well, I don't think you can have it any other way, you know. (laughs) Uh, You know, once you write something as deep as you just did and share it as, as deep as you are, there really is no other way that, that you have something, you know, that you're going to get serious with some of your some of your work, even if it's like more lighthearted. You're going to be more lighthearted. Well, yeah, that was that was really deep. So anything <laughs> that is lighthearted. <laughs> and my book position one is also filled with my trademark, which is my poetry. 
So my so position one is also filled with very very good poems, and as the intrigue builds, the poems the intrigue on the poems build. So it's just a great story. I mean, it's a great story. My daughter's been instrumental in me sending it back and forth to her as I've gotten through, you know, parts of it. And we've just I've just built up a really great storyline. And the poems in there are just oh, they're just beautiful. Some of the poems were contributed by my daughters, as always. That's their contributing mark with my book as they contribute a poem or two. And so you're gonna love it. I, I definitely I definitely encourage you to read the book because it's got a great story, it's got a great twist to it, and it's going to make you think. <laughs> Can't give it away, but it's going to make you think, I'll tell you that. Well, that's what it's all about, is even if it's fiction, it should make you think. I have another question, and I already know this answer, but I'll go ahead and let you answer it. Um, Bella Zuri, I'll ask again, do you have anything else published, and if so, where can she get it? No, I actually don't have anything else published. Um, I do have a lot of my poetry. What I do do is that I publish, um, I do make porch, personalized poetry plates. And you can get these personalized poetry plates by going to my website at www.inrareformbook.com and following the Contact Me link. And I do sell por- personalized poetry plates. And what a personalized poetry plate is, is you write me your situation, you tell me what you want a poem about, and and I actually make up a poem that only you will have, and I have them put into these, I have them engraved into a plate and shipped to you. So anyone can contact me for that. Awesome. You know, that's funny because you were were talking about poetry play, and I'm going to say, okay, what is that? And, of course, you go ahead and answer it for me. Okay. No, I, I think that you had another reading out of your book. Probably was a good time to do that. You got some people popping in there here. So um, okay. I know you had a second reading, so go ahead and go into that. Okay, what I'm going to be reading from is Chapter 57. And I've tried to keep everything kind of upbeat, but I want to definitely send my message out there. And so this part is called The Message, Okay. This page is called The Message, and it's in Chapter 57 of In Rare Form. And it says, there are many places that I never took anyone until today because today I want mothers to feel my pain. I want them to feel the pain of the child. I want them to see the light at the end of my tunnel. I want them to see so they will know not to be afraid of the dark because without the dark, we would never have enjoyed the light this much. I am not proud of the things that brought me here, but I'm no longer drowning in the pool of regret and guilt. I am the person I am today, not in spite of what I went through, but rather because of what I went through. Yes, I was at the bottom. I ran around lost in the gutter for many, many years, and it was a very dark place. And yes, the light is not in the tunnel, but at the very end. No, I couldn't see my way around the tunnel when I was walking inside that dark tunnel. And I couldn't find the light when I was running in the tunnel. But once I hit my knees and asked for guidance, it was given to me. You see, my mothers and sisters, I would never find the light at the end of the tunnel when I was walking around in my rose-colored glasses and touching the walls and trying to feel my way through life. No, the walls are murky, and they only lead to mazes with more murky walls. Inside my heart of hearts, 
I pray that none of you out there find yourself inside of a dark tunnel like the one that I lived in for over 23 years. But if you are there and you're reading in rare form, then just get on your knees, take off your glasses, and start crawling. Don't reach for the walls. They will take you to places you have already been or you just don't want to go. Nope. Reach for the stars and know that only something that you haven't had yet will get you to where you need to be. Find your tears and let them flow. Find your voice and scream. Remember your prayer and spill it on the floor of your tunnel. Now open your eyes and follow me to the light at the end of my tunnel. Okay. We uh, have another caller. After that, it would be kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> Down here, uh, 602-977-1171. I believe that you might yes. have dropped off earlier, and you want to share something with us now? Uh, yes. Um, my children and I have read the book, and um, we were wondering about um, the children's father. Um, we were wondering about him, what has happened with him, and is he aware um, that Cynthia wrote a book? And is he aware of the damage that it has caused um, the family, uh, the severe damage that it caused the children and the family? That is a very good question, and that's a question that I was hoping no one would ask, but okay. <laughs> you know what? And I was wondering that maybe that was too personal of a question, um, but... No, uh, no, as my kids and I not. were talking, we all wondered the same question. <laughs> well, there are a lot of people who probably are wondering that question. And as far as he is concerned, he pretty much dropped off in that last page that I had on him. However, several few years ago, one of my children did tell me that he tried to contact them through Facebook, and they, of course, denied his request. I'm not sure what's happened to him in life, but I was definitely sure to put his name in the book because I wanted to make, to make an alert out to anyone who would give any connection. I'm not sure that he knows the damages that he's done because the damage was done so many years ago, he had to have known what kind of damage you do when you, when you harm a child. So my concern hasn't been as to whether or not he knows this or not. I just want him to know if he's listening or if he runs across our book, I want him to know that we're okay now, that he doesn't have any power in our life. We, he doesn't have any power over us anymore. We're all okay. He doesn't have that power. We took the power away from him probably about two years ago. Well, you know, that's wonderful, and uh, my family and I are rooting for you, and good luck with the, the book, and uh, I'm sure it um, will help a lot of people out there, and uh um, you did a very great job, and, and uh, thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for calling in. That was one question you didn't want to answer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was, I was coming, though, Patty. It, I, I knew better to ask it. So, <laughs> somebody else did. I almost got on a little rampage there, a little tangent, but I got, got a little control of myself there. Yeah. I'm still learning. It's tough when it's real life, you know, it's real life. And, uh, you know, again, in rare form, we're talking about rare, real raw subjects here, and, and, you know, it takes a long time to, I mean, you're never going to forget, but obviously it's going to be 
a little more dull pain. So yes, uh, yeah, I, I I came from an alcoholic family, so um, I know something about that. I've lost my father from alcoholism, and my grandfather, and I'm from Ohio, so almost everybody there uh, had that problem. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I have family of that. <laughs> Yeah, because it's yeah. cold outside, so everyone's in having a couple of drinks. That's right. That's right, and, and that's okay. That's, that's their life. My my mom then moved me from there a long time ago when I was nine, so I thank her for that because it, uh, when I go back there, I find my cousins into different bad situations, and I'm glad that I wasn't there to see that happen or be a part of it. So uh, Arizona was good for us, our move here. Mm. I have nobody here on saying anything more. I know I've got a few people listening, but we already talked to them. And do you have anything more you want to add to what I what I had asked you? Um, well, actually, I do have just a couple of things that I do want to say. I do want to say that people need to be aware of child molestation in the United States because it does happen to your friend. And before it happened to me, I thought the child molestation was just something that happened to the person in the newspaper or the person across town. But it's actually something that's very prevalent, not in any particular community. It's not just in the white community. It's in the black community. It's in the Asian community. It's in all communities, you know. And I think that one of the important things that helped me along my way is, although I had a rough ride, I think that when we're raising our children, too, we have to instill certain values in them and certain things in them because in the end, they may be the very things that they depend on to survive, you know, and my children depend on something that I gave them to survive, and it was ultimately something my mother had instilled in me. They gave me the strength to once I decided to crawl on out, I knew where to go. So I think that it's very important that mothers and parents know that they have to give them kid, give their kids something because it's a rough world out there, and you don't know what they may have to face. You know, God forbid, but you never know what may have to face. And you want to be prepared for that, and you want to prepare your children for that also. That's a very good message. I did have one uh, question on my list that we didn't cover, but well, we did kind of cover, but I just kind of said, well, we kind of already talked about it, but um, let me say, who do you wish would really read this story? Oh, yes. Well, of course I would definitely wish that everyone would read this story, you know, and I know that it's a tough read for some, and it's raw and it's out there. But the the, one, the person I know will read this story as far as who I think I, my real target person would be, it would be the woman who loves to read stories of inspiration. Okay, that's one that one of my readers and the addict that's trying to quit tonight and needs to believe there's a way out. I want the mother who needs a reason to get up in the morning and punch that clock and appreciate it. No, appreciate the fact that you have a job. That's who's going to read my story. You know, I dedicated my book to women in addiction and pain and their children, but this story is actually meant for those who are brave enough to just take a look on the other side. I would also like for people who are interested in making a difference to read my story and contact me. I want people who have rape crisis centers in our community to give my book to people who need a reason to heal. That's what I wrote this book for. Awesome. 
I'm going to come put a call out it one more time for anybody who has dropped off and had a question or a comment. Time to call in now. I'll put you right through. And same thing with chat. We've got a couple people on here, but no other questions come through. Do we have any more readings from your book? Um, actually, I do have a poem from my book that I'm going to read that I'd like to read. Okay. And it's a poem that was written by my daughter, who actually, as I think I mentioned before, she went to Howard. And this poem that I'm going to read is called I Will Thrive. And she sent me this poem, and when I was writing this book, she sent me this poem, and I thought, oh, I'm going to put this poem in front of the part of her book where she graduated from Howard. And it's a poem called I Will Thrive. And I think that it's important, a poem that's written that's important, not just for African-American people, but for women who are in as victims of abuse or survivors of abuse, for children who are surviving. The important thing we must remember is that we have to thrive and not exist. And that's how this poem starts, and it's called I Will Thrive. And it says, and she wrote this, she said, I refuse to just exist. Instead, I will thrive. Thrive because thriving is elegant in the words of Maya Angelou. Thrive because those who came before me have worked far too hard to pave the way so that I could walk the path without resistance. I vow to thrive, to take the road less traveled, as Robert Frost so eloquently put it. I will thrive because my parents did not, because so many of my peers have not, and because it is expected that I myself will not, but I will because to thrive is to oppose complacency, the enemy of the African-American race. How could we ever be so foolish as to allow ourselves to become complacent while we're living in this society? Instead, we must thrive. We must strive for something more than just what is given to us. We will never progress if we continue to just exist. Trees exist. Rocks exist. Dirt exists. But me, I will thrive. That's beautiful. I do have a question now based on your poetry. Um, I know that in sections, some sections you had poetry before the actual prose. How did you organize that and know that you needed to put something before one chapter, maybe not in front of another? Well, I actually put the poetry in front of the periods of time or the or the progress that I was making or where I was at in my life at that point. And it's just kind of funny, Patty, but when I was writing this story, a lot of times I would be at my computer and boy, I'd just be writing, you know. And a whole I'd be writing a whole a whole two two three pages, and then I would stop and go back to look at what I'd written and thought, wow, I didn't even remember that until today. So a lot of times my poetry was put there without even thinking because that was where it was supposed to be. Because at the time that I was living that, I always, I have always, yes, always lived inside of my poetry. I've lived in my poetry for many years. Even in my worst time in life, I, I was in my poetry. So a lot of my poems that I've written, they're in place there because that was the place and time that I wrote them. Well, that's great. And that makes sense. Uh, it's just one, something that popped in my head because I know that uh, we were going back and forth with uh, 
chapters, you know, it's the poetry in front of the chapters, and it was a little <laughs> bit of a, <laughs> a little hard for us to get that, get that part together. But uh, so how did you think about the cover, you know, what you wanted to see on it? Oh, the cover was definitely, it's definitely the message that I wanted to portray. When I was speaking with Patty about the cover, and she says, well, you know, you've got to give me an idea of what you're, what you want to say. And I told her, I said, well, what I want to do is I want to put this scripture on the back of my book that says, for the things that are done in secret, it is shameful even to mention. And I said, and in order to make that powerful, I want a lady on my book that's saying shush, like she's telling a secret, because I'm getting ready to tell the secret of my life in this book, Patty. And I, after telling her some of the things that I had been through and everything, she started emailing me back and forth covers. And she went back and forth with me all night. I actually had some, a publicity thing I was doing in California in a few days, and she started emailing. And then I told her that I felt like my children had been taken off the streets, you know, just like people take the detour signs and the roadblock signs and throw them down. I felt like my kids, that their, that their whole childhood had been robbed. So Patty came up with the idea of the detour ahead and she gave me the perfect lady that was telling a secret in front of a whole city in the background. So that the cover actually just pinned what I was trying to say. Well, we were shooting for something that was urban looking, but you know, we you the dark dark colors, but you need enough red on it because that's what everybody sees the colors fastest is red and yellow. So when you have a dark background like that, the red just makes a pop. And that's why we we gave the in rare form and the detour ahead, which of course are two things that you're talking about, your your main focuses, and those are that's why those are in red. And of course, on your name, we went ahead and changed the black to red because that way you had red going from the top of the page all the way to the bottom. That's why it was designed that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know it turned out great. That's what I know. And it's an eye catcher, you know, and I wanted to catch someone's eye, uh, definitely, of course, you know, and I want my readers to be able to feel the power of the book when they pick it up, that it's in rare form, you know, it's something that's it's written in good taste, so you don't have to worry about going through anything, but it's very raw written and it's difficult, and any story on child molestation shouldn't be told in a nice way, because there's nothing nice about it. It has a beautiful ending for those who are worried, it does have a beautiful ending, and I suggest that you, most people that, I've, that I have talked back and forth with have told me that once they sat down and started reading, they read it all the way through because it's just a story that needs to be heard, and you'll be able to relate to it. I don't know how they did that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't because um, that kind of subject matter is not something that I can read in one sitting. I had the same pr- problem with somebody, uh, another uh, another uh, journal that somebody was was writing, and uh, I had to read her through her stuff, and I had the same problem. I can't get through that much trauma in one sitting. I well, wish I could have got through it in one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> I would have wrote in real form too, probably right? 10 years ago, you know. Well, I find that it has to happen when it happens. Yeah, God has a plan, and everything always happens when it's for a reason. 
and the story was not ready to be told until it was ready. And now you're ready. You had to be strong <laughs> enough to handle these hard questions that people are asking you on the phone here. <laughs> yes, I'm ready. <laughs> I've been preparing for this my whole life. So anybody else have any questions because it's your last chance to get on board here? I'm I'm all tapped out as far as questions and comments. Any okay, other well, I just want to, do you have a caller? No, not yet. Go ahead. Okay, well, I just want to tell everyone that thank you for those who have read my book already, and for those of you who haven't, please go and pick you up a copy of my book. If you want to just get involved by writing just, you know, words of encouragement or whatever that may you feel like may help someone, please feel free to email me at cynthia.miller at inrareformbook.com. You can reach me on Arizona Publishing site. You can reach me through several ways. You can Facebook me at In Rare Form on Facebook, or you can Facebook me at Cynthia Miller. You can Twitter me at Cynthia Miller. But please get involved because the only way that we're going to be able to stop this thing is if we get the word out. And the only way that people who have the word out and hear it is going to be probably to go to the word. So I just want to encourage everyone if you are going through this type of situation, you've already taken a step back because you're listening right now to something that's important to you. That's a great message. Uh, as well as Cynthia's website, and you can get a hold of her on Facebook. Also, you can get on and have different formats to read right on our publishing website at AZ, as in Arizona, publishingservices.com. We have the Amazon you can go straight to Amazon from there if that's what you wish to do, or you can also buy it directly from the publisher for free shipping. Also, you have it in Kindle format and tuned to be in all other formats as soon as they get their act together. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think that's everybody, and uh, thank you for calling in and, and talking to me. I will uh, obviously talk to you later. Okay. And thank you so much for having me, Patty. Oh, thank you. I think it was a really good, really good show here, and we had a lot of calls out of state. That's wonderful. Um, just wanted to let everybody know that that's being be taking a ten minute break, and then I will be back to talk about manuscript writing and what a lot of mistakes that new authors are making. So I'll be back in ten minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, lady.
just in case anybody forgot.
Radio. My name is Patty Holstrand. I'll be taking for the next 25, 29 minutes or so uh, talking about a lot of mistakes that I see on a, a regular basis on new authors and uh, manuscripts that they send to me or their sample chapters that they send and uh, on how you should be sending manuscripts in format. Uh, to any editor or publisher or uh, an agent. So that's, we have a lot of questions. If you want to call in and ask me a question, I'll definitely take that. Um, this is a live show, so it's kind of hard to, for me to, to copy and paste in a lot of things. So we do have some people listening in, and they can call me and ask questions about it specifically. But one of the big main things that I see is the issues with dialogue. Now, this may not be as much an issue for a nonfiction author, but I do see this a lot in fiction writing. I mean, every so often you are going to have some cases in nonfiction where you have a quote, uh, and so you need to obviously deal with it too, uh, the same way or about similar to how we deal with dialogue in a fiction book. But uh, I learned some years back from the hard way in front of an agent. And the agent said, do you want to hear what you're doing wrong? And I said, well, of course. I mean, after all, that's why I'm there. I was in a uh, writer's group, and I was uh, you know, paid money to be in this uh, conference, and of course I want to know what I'm doing wrong. And she said, you would not believe how many people do not want to know. Now that I don't quite understand, because if you really want to write, you need to learn certain things, and uh, you need to work your craft. So that's why I'm talking now, and why I talk to every writer that talks to me, about the writing process and what they need to learn in order to get manuscripts past the first stage when they hand it to an agent or they hand it to a publisher and it goes through the slush piles. Never going to make it if you don't do some some things, clean up your manuscripts. And they're going to know right away that you're not ready to move forward in your work because you're not willing to do the minor things you need to know in order to get it in front of them, in order to get to show that you're professional. And dialogue is one of them. Now, dialogue is where a voice and a character is saying something to somebody else. So you need to have quotation marks. You actually really need to have punctuation correct. And one of the big things that uh, I get is a lot of people who don't know how to do the punctuation uh, in their dialogue, which happens a lot. Um, and that's one thing I found out in front of an agent. So I'm trying to save you some of the, some of the pain and agony and embarrassment. Uh, and so you need to learn how to do dialogue correctly by putting the quotations around what's said uh, from the bashful voice of the person that she said, and then comma, and then quotation mark, 
and then whatever the person says, and then the period within the and within the quotation marks. And that's one of the big questions that a lot of people have: is where do I put the period on the outside or inside? A lot of if at the end of the sentence and the end of what somebody's saying, then it's always within. Same thing with a question mark or explanation point or any any form of end of end of the sentence. So that needs to go at the end of end of every uh, quotation. Also, the big thing that they they're doing is is locking of the paragraph. Paragraphing, and you need to learn that when uh, a voice changes from one character to another, that you need to have a different paragraph, even if it's only one word. If they say "Amen," it's got to be, it's got to go in a different paragraph. And if you're going to have a person going back and forth, you have two people talking. About every fifth line, that's when you should say who it is that's talking, so that way the reader will be able to understand the flow and will be able to keep going. If you have any questions for me, please go ahead and sign in chat. Give me a call. It looks like I'm not going to have enough battery for the whole show. might have to go offline here. But that's one of the first big things. And if you need to, what you really need to do is open up a book. Open up a fiction book. Compare what you're writing, how you're writing it to what you're to what they're they have in these in the books that are actually getting printed. And I'm not talking your your friend's book that you know they self-publish themselves and say they not know how to do it uh, to do it correctly either. I'm talking about you know a, a really well-known author that you can open up the book and read the dialogue and and look at it and look how you're doing it and then learn from that. When I was told from the agent what I was doing wrong, I didn't take it her face value. I went and opened up the books and looked. I, I, I compared what I was doing to what they were doing and learned from the experience. And now I can tell others and, and I can read and, and, and edit anyone's work and being able to know exactly where their big problems are. And that is the biggest question, the biggest question that I'm asked is dialogue. And the biggest problem that I see happening out there is how do I deal with the dialogue? I am going to have a webinar on this, very, very cheap webinar because I like people to learn different experience on exactly how to deal with, I will have examples on the dialogue so that way you can see you know, what I'm looking, what I'm seeing and then what the corrected version is and why, and the punctuation involved in dialogue, and how the voices change, and how to deal with voice. Uh, so that's a really good webinar on voice and, and dialogue and punctuation. So if anybody has any questions, be sure to chat me. I'm also on Facebook. I'll be on Facebook for the next few minutes on. It's facebook.com slash pj.holstrand. It's pj.h-u-l-t-s-t-r-a-n-d. And you can chat me and I'll answer your questions there. And I, if you have any questions regarding the dialogue and anything el eloquent, you can ask me. 
see her there. And that's one of the biggest questions that people ask me is the dialogue. Um, I am going to be going over how to actually have your manuscript formatted uh, with your headers, footers, and chapter headers, and uh, when to change chapters. Uh, we'll be going over that on Wednesday right after the program for Michael. And I'm going to be knocked off here, so 